Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 21, and this morning we'll be looking at verses 5 through 36. And let me say thanks to many of you who've uh, helped set up. They come early on Sunday mornings, and they stay later to break down. And we're very thankful for all those who are running our sound, our musicians, uh, our greeting crew, those who help set up. Uh, if you would like to volunteer and uh, relieve some of the weight of uh, what many are or bearing on now that we're moving outside, uh, please contact Laurie Parsons. Uh, we'd love to have more volunteers to help. But thanks so much for those who have. Out of reverence and respect for God and His Word, let's stand for the reading of Scripture, those who are able. Luke 21, verses 5 through 36. Hear now the Word of God. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said... As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place when the end will be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilence. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you will be put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against his people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out with leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also... When you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. 
Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. But stay awake at all times praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we ask that through the ministry of your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would rivet our hearts and our minds, our affections upon the coming Son of Man, and that on that day we will stand in confidence in him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Years ago, our children enjoyed watching Sesame Street, and especially our youngest. And I remember one of the highlights for me in watching Sesame Street with my children was Grover teaching children the concepts of near and far. And Grover would run up to the camera and say, near. And then he'd run back and say, far, near, far. And he did this repeatedly ad nauseum, teaching a concept of near and far. Well, in a very real sense, Jesus is doing something like that in our passage this morning. He's teaching about prophecy in two stages. Prophecy that will be fulfilled near, near to the time of the disciples, and prophecy that will be fulfilled far, much further into the future. Mark in his gospel account tells us that this whole conversation about the temple and as the disciples were saying how wonderful this temple is, it took place on the Mount of Olives. They were talking about how wonderful the edifice was. Some of the huge white stones in the temple were 42 feet long, 11 feet high, and 14 feet deep. The temple was clad in the purest of gold, making it one of the wonders of the Roman world. And as they were there on the Mount of Olives, marveling at this great temple, Jesus said something that shook them to the core. One day, not one stone will remain upon the other of this temple, and Jerusalem will be destroyed. Jesus was speaking of something actually fulfilled near. It was fulfilled in A.D. 70. But he goes on to teach about this concept of prophecy of near and far. And so what we first see is Jesus prophesies to his disciples things which are to be fulfilled near. When Jesus prophesied of not one stone standing on the other, it was actually fulfilled in the lives of some of the disciples in A.D. 70. But Inquiring minds want to know, when will these things happen? In verse 7, they say. And Jesus begins to paint a picture of things that will take place near. Near in the lives of the disciples. But he begins with a warning. He, he, He has a warning concerning what we might refer to as last day's craze. Of wanting to predict dates and have all kinds of prophecies and timetables and being enamored with who and when and what. And Jesus in verse 8 is very clear. 
Don't follow after these who say, I am he. Don't follow all these last days crazed prophecies. But with his warning, Jesus doesn't stop. That doesn't stop some of the people from speculation. And so Jesus says, even to us today, do not get caught up in all these things. But he goes on, he says, let me tell you what you can expect. There will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be earthquakes and famines and pestilence leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. And indeed, there were. A.D. 66, there was a Jewish insurrection against Rome, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There were earthquakes, Laodicea in A.D. 60, Phrygia in A.D. 61, Pompeii in A.D. 63. It was a turbulent time in the Roman world. But to get more personal, Jesus went on to say, not just are there going to be turbulent times in the Roman world, but the world will seize you and persecute you and imprison you and drag you before the authorities in verse 12. Verse 16 reminds us that in that day, even family members and friends will turn against believers in Christ for his name's sake, and they will be imprisoned, and some will even be put to death. Again, this happened. A.D. 60, there was a great persecution in the Roman world against Christians, and many lost their lives for the sake of Jesus. In fact, all of the apostles died a martyr's death with the exception of one. The apostle John who died in exile on the island of Patmos. Jesus said all of these things are but shockwaves leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And so in verse 20, he tells people who will be living at that time what to do. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you'll know its desolation is near. And then Jesus told them, those who are in this city, flee. Those who are outside of the city, don't enter in. And in verse 21, he talks about the devastation that will take place. Verses 22 through 24, the horrors of the judgment upon Jerusalem of men and women and children being killed. And indeed, that took place in AD 67 and 68 as Jerusalem was being surrounded. Many Jewish Christians fled the city and God spared their lives. And then in 70 AD, under the leadership of General Titus, general of a Roman army, Rome came in and destroyed the temple, devastated the temple, and left the streets filled with the blood of men and women and children. Jesus said this to his disciples, what you can expect to take place in the future near. But Jesus told them not only what to expect, but also how to respond. And I believe this is also instructive for us today notice back in verse 9 he says when you hear of wars and uprisings do what don't be frightened these things must happen but the end will not come right away jesus is saying in essence don't be terrified it's not the end of the world you know i think many generations preceding us including our own have looked around and they've seen horrific problems in the world of wars and rumors of wars and devastation. And every generation has expected this must be the last generation. Many generations before us, including our own, 
have said things are so bad in this world, the return of Jesus must be just around the corner. And Jesus is saying, not necessarily. Persecutions and wars and famines and devastation and disease and COVID-19. Things like this have always been a part of human history. It's always a part of living in a fallen world. So don't panic. I'm in control. Everything is still running according to my perfect timetable. Trust me. That's why he's telling the disciples these things ahead of time. You'll see these things coming. Trust me. I'm still on the throne. And I wonder if in 2020, you will do that. And I will do that. Will we trust Christ? Will we give him our anxieties and our fears and our cares? Casting all of our anxieties upon him. Why? Because he cares for us. And the one who cares for us is still seated on the throne. In, 15, in 1656, Paul Gerhardt wrote words encouraging his people to rest and trust in God's sovereign sway with these words. Give to the wind your fears, hope, and be undismayed. God hears your sighs and counts your tears. God shall lift up your head. And so Jesus calls his disciples first to respond in a fearless trust in him. Second, we're to respond in a courageous confidence. Jesus said, as you see these things coming, verse 13, this is going to be but an opportunity for you to bear testimony about me. It's hard to imagine, but the persecution that took place, the devastation of Jerusalem, the persecution of Christians did what? It scattered them. And it gave many opportunities, as it says in this passage, to speak before governors and kings. Think of Paul. If it wasn't for persecution, he would have never had audience with the ruling authorities in Jerusalem. He would have not had opportunities to speak to the governors and rulers in Rome. And it eventually took him to the emperor himself. Throughout the centuries, it's persecution that has given Christians opportunity to stand courageously before a watching world and to give testimony to the grace and mercy and kingship of Jesus Christ. In fact, it was the church father, Tertullian, who said it's the blood of the martyrs who provided the seed of the church. Wherever Christians have been persecuted, when they've been martyred, the churches eventually flourished. In fact, the word here, witness or testimony, the Greek word is martyrion. It's the word from which we get martyrs. And so God throughout the centuries have given Christians the power to stand courageously in the face of persecution. One of the things Becky has been reading throughout all this COVID-19 is the magazine, The Voice of the Martyrs. Story after story after story of modern-day brothers and sisters in Christ who are being slaughtered, being put to the sword simply because of his name. And, you know, there's something about reading the stories of real-life martyrdom that put our difficulties in perspective. 
brothers and sisters in Christ, standing in the power of the Holy Spirit, even at the face of the sword. Oh, may God grant us that grace. Now, there's something interesting Jesus says in verses 14 and 15. Now, now don't, don't worry about getting prepared for this. I will give you at that time opportunity and power and clarity to speak. Now, Jesus isn't saying, don't ever write out your personal testimony. He's not saying, don't study apologetics and learn the questions that non-Christians are asking and seek to respond to them with truth and with grace. But he is saying this, at those moments in which you are scared to death, when your heart is filled with fear, when you are at a loss of words, by my spirit and for my glory, I will give you words to say that will glorify my name and bring glory of my name throughout the nations. And so Jesus says, when you see these things, his disciples respond with a fearless faith, with a confidence, a courageous confidence, and finally, in steadfast victory. In verse 19, he says, stand firm and win life. The Greek word for stand is this idea of remaining under and bearing under intense, great pressure. It is a victor's stance in the face of the onslaught of pressure and hatred and persecution. Take this victor stance, but how? How can we do so? What will enable us to stand up under that pressure? One of the things is a promise that Jesus gave in the verse just before verse 19. Verse 18 might catch us off guard in the text on persecution, but not a hair of your head will perish. Now, obviously, Jesus in light of persecution that might even lead to death, cannot be speaking about the actual follicles on our head. But it's a proverbial saying regarding the eternal protection of our souls. Nothing can snatch you from our Father's hand. Neither height, nor depth, nor principalities, nor powers, nor rulers of darkness. There's nothing in all of creation that can separate the believer from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Heidelberg Catechism picked up on this understanding. In question one, speaking of the security of the believer, we can, as Christians, say this and believe this. My faithful Savior also preserves me in such a way that, uh, that without the will of my Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. And so Jesus is saying that you are eternally secure and you can be ready for whatever the world might bring you. And so Jesus speaks of, to his disciples of trials near. And in so doing, he promises grace and strength to his followers to respond and a fearless trust, a courageous confidence, and a steadfast victory. There's one other thing I'd like to point out before we move on to prophecy far, and that's in verse 24. Look at verse 24 again. Jerusalem will be trampled. and will be trampled on by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. This took place in 70 AD. They were trampled upon, but that phrase until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, is language, prophetic language, and language of promise from the covenant to Abraham. 
Abraham was told that through you, the nations, the Gentiles, would be blessed. And again, with the destruction of Jerusalem, many people might be tempted to think that God's plan of redemption was somehow thwarted. But once again, Jesus wants his disciples to understand this is something that will take place that is running according to his providential plan. In fact, he said the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. He said in verse 22 that all this must take place to fulfill what is written. So the destruction of Jerusalem and the scattering of Christians from Jerusalem was divinely designed to take the gospel to the nations. One commentator put it this way, the fall of Jerusalem is not a miscarriage of divine purpose, but a fulfillment of the divine purpose of salvation for the Gentiles. The fall of Jerusalem necessitates the extension of the promise to Israel to the nations. And with that, Jesus ends his prophecy near. And now he turns the attention of the disciples and our disciple and our to prophecy far. Jesus prophesies for his disciples things which also be fulfilled far in the distant future. Now, admittedly, we need to understand as we've studied this passage before, it's a difficult passage. Some would even say it's one of the most difficult passages in all of the Gospels. And so there needs to be great care and humility and a constant dependent upon the Holy Spirit to interpret this passage But I believe despite some of the confusing things and difficult things, the final message will be clear. One difficulty, for example, in this section is Jesus says in verse 32, Truly I say to this generation, will not pass away until all has taken place. To what generation is Jesus speaking? To, To the immediate generation he's addressing, the generation of his disciples, many who will see the prophecy near fulfilled in AD 70 with the destruction of Jerusalem. Or is he speaking of a future generation that will be there and see the return of the Son of Man? And the Scripture is not real easy to interpret here. Possibly there is language including both. One of the key principles in interpreting prophetic Scripture is be careful with predictive prophecy. Be careful with running off with charts and the newest books that are taking place. Be humble and careful. Jesus has already given uh, warning regarding that as well. Prophecy which points to the return of Christ and final judgment is not always easy to understand. Another reason for that is it often uses apocalyptic language. Language that's just highly visual, that's pictorial. Uh, Language that includes symbolism and figures. For example, Revelation is filled with it. That language is not always easy to interpret. For example, here we have the sun and the moon and the stars and it sounds like the sky is falling. We have the seas and great turmoil. What's going on there? This is Old Testament language. Old Testament prophetic language that we can be familiar with as we're students of the Old Testament. And it's apocalyptic language, highly visual, reminding us that there will be great turmoil catalytic, catastrophic events that will take place at the return of Christ and final judgment. We say things like, the sky is falling to describe a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. It's the kind of language that's taking place, and so it makes it difficult 
to anticipate some of the specific details of future prophecy. But the overall meaning of the prophecy is clear. This is what I want us to come away with. Here it is. Prior to the return of Christ, the world will experience wars and disasters and disease. And these things will occur in a more intense, accelerated, and supernatural rate. You see, while the kingdom of God is advancing throughout the world, Satan will do everything within his diabolical powers to thwart that plan. I just finished reading Al Mohler's excellent book, The Gathering Storm, Secularism, Culture, and the Church. The title was borrowed from one of Winston Churchill's volumes on the coming and onslaught of Nazi Germany. In it, Mohler talks about the accelerated rate of a worldview shift that you're watching on your television screens and laptops. It's an accelerated rate of a, of a worldview that despises the things of Christ and a worldview that will intensify persecution. And we're already seeing that in our culture, not just around the world. We see it on social media and everywhere else. And so some are often wondering, are we in the last days? Are we beginning to see the fruition of the parable of the fig tree? Are these leaves beginning to bud, telling us that summer is near? You know, for some who watch the events that are taking place in our culture, they're really frightening days. They are days of turmoil, days of uncertainty. You can't buy gun ammo because people are scared to death. There's turmoil everywhere, and there's also in the back of many minds the fear of judgment of the return of the Son of Man. So how is the Christian to respond to Christ's prophecy far, that may be nearer than we anticipate? Well, in contrast to the world that's wringing its hands in fear, that's shaking its fists in anger, Christ reminds us, we see in this text, that he prophesies for his disciples in order that they and we might be prayerfully watchful and lift up our heads in hope. Jesus never intended for us to simply become speculative about the time and dates and events surrounding his return. And he never meant for us to be fearful regarding the future. In fact, much of what he told the first century disciples concerning how they should respond to prophecy near is how we should respond today as Christians. Responding with trust and reliance in Him. A fearless faith, a courageous confidence and a steadfast victory. But Jesus also gives us more application for those of us who are living today in 2020 in the second portion of His teaching regarding prophecy far. Notice the stark contrast again between believer and unbeliever. Look at verses 26 and 27. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heaven will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great joy. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up. Stand up. Raise your heads. Why? Because we know something. As Christians, we know where history is heading. 
to our great redemption, to the glorious return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Make no mistake, when the Son of Man returns, He will return in Shekinah glory to judge the world in justice. And the unbelievers will be panic-stricken on that day. Charles Wesley in 1758 described the response of the unbeliever in that day in the words that we will sing in just a few moments. Every eye shall now behold him robed in dreadful majesty. Those who sat at naught and sold him, pierced and nailed him to the tree, deeply wailing, deeply wailing, shall the true Messiah see. But why the world, while the world will be crying out for the rocks to fall upon them in such dread over the coming judgment, believers in Christ are called to stand victorious and to lift up our heads in hope. Why? We know where history's heading. And he tells us, because your redemption is drawing nigh. And when that takes place, how will we stand before the Son of Man? We will stand before the Son of Man in judgment because He has taken that judgment upon Himself if our faith and trust is in Him. We will stand before Him knowing there's now no condemnation for all who are in Christ Jesus. We will stand before Him with no fear because we know perfect love, the perfect love of Christ fulfilled on the cross for us, cast out all fear. And so the child of God will stand in confidence in Christ on that day. It is a day for which we long and we look forward to. And when it takes place, it will exceed beyond all imagination the glories and grace we ever thought would take place but the question is this why does jesus give us this lesson of prophecy in two stages why the the near lesson and then the far lesson it's this because jesus wants us to know and be certain of that just as the prophecy was fulfilled in the first century so it most certainly will be fulfilled in the last. He wants us to be able to bank our lives on this reality. That's why he says in the next verse, heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will not pass away. My friends, Jesus is saying, you can bank your life on this prophecy. You can bank your life on the finished work of Christ that on that great day you will stand unashamed because you are in Him. You can bank your life on the Word of Christ because He and His Word will never fail. And so when we see today wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines and pestilence and persecution, Jesus says, fear not. It's just a day closer to the glorious day of my return and your redemption. Fear not. Prayerfully watch your life. Don't get entangled in the self-centered cares and sinful affairs of this world. Do not be like the unbeliever who's completely unaware and suddenly one day the judgment will spring upon them like a trap. 
Be awake, be alert, be prayerful, be expectant. Pray for grace and strength to endure to the end. Trust your sovereign Redeemer. Again, cast all of your cares upon Him because He reigns. You know, today we hear in a lot of conversations, people are in our culture are wanting to be sure that one day it'll be discovered that they stood on the right side of history. Let me encourage you this morning, if you are in Christ, let me encourage you based upon the words of Christ, if you are standing with Him in faith, you are standing on the right side of history. You're standing on the right side of His story of redemption. And one day it is certain Though difficulties may abound and difficulties will come, our Lord and Savior will return for His people. The day of your redemption that is drawing near will come to fulfillment in Christ. So don't be gripped with fear. Don't be gripped with the uncertainties of the prospect of final judgment. Believers in Christ, hold up your heads in glorious hope. Because our King and Redeemer is enthroned. And our King and Redeemer will most certainly come. That which was fulfilled in the first century will be fulfilled in the last. And with that, Jesus ends his lesson on prophecy near and far. Encouraging our hopes to be filled, our hearts to be filled with a hope. And our heads be lifted up in anticipation of his glorious return. And even as Steve prayed, one day all this mess will be made right and we will forever enter into the new heavens and the new earth of our glorious God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that as we see in our culture reasons for many to faint in fear to wring their hands in terror to view this day and tomorrow with great dread Lord Jesus you have given us as your people insight into the future into the glories of your return and you've called upon us to be alert to be aware to pray for vigilance and grace and mercy and strength and to lift up our heads in hope. And so Jesus, I pray today for those who are trusting in you, you would enable us to do so. And those who are not, Lord, that this might even be the day that they are awakened to the reality of the terrors of judgment and that they would run to the cross And therein find in you mercy and grace, forgiveness, reason to live, and confidence and hope in the future. Thank you, Jesus, for granting us this glimpse into prophecy near and far. Strengthen our hearts by it and the glorious hope of your redemption and your return. We pray in your matchless name. Amen.